This episode is brought to you by CMM Financial Services. At CMM, we know how hard it is to find someone who knows and cares enough to create the tax and wealth plan that you deserve. After walking alongside hundreds of clients for the past 20 years with accounting, bookkeeping, tax strategy, and financial planning, we have created a proven system to help you reach your financial goals. CMM has your complete financial team to reach your financial goals. Book a call at cmmfinancialservices.com. My name is retired Senior Chief Tom George. I spent 25 years in the United States Navy. Today, I'm the founder and CEO of one of the largest football academies in the country, QB Impact Academy. This is my story. Thank you for your service to our great country, Senior Chief George. And thank you for taking your time to come on our show. This year, we're going with the theme of leadership through adversity. And we reached out to you a few years ago. We became friends. And through the process learning about you, we feel like your story is very important. Your leadership is very confident. And your leadership is what needs to be heard. So take us through your youth all the way to 1991. Um, so first of all, I appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity. Um, it's not a cliche, but you know, I've, I've always alluded to the fact that I really don't deserve this platform, and I've always felt that way. Um, and uh, so you allowing me to be a part of this um, is very humbling to me. Um, you know, if you, if you look, if you look at my life pre 2016, it's pretty much a blur. Um, to the point where you probably can't, you know, it, with the technology age, you would think you could find something about everybody. Right. And, uh, you know, probably prior to 2016, you would think I never existed. Um, and, uh, you know, so my story's always been humbling to be, and um, you're really one of the reasons that I'm okay to tell my story because of your story. Uh, so I just wanted to tell you thank you. Um, thank you. So, yeah, 1973, um, I am a Vietnamese American. Um, I was born in Vietnam, and when I say I was born into adversity, um, I will say I was born, although I couldn't comprehend those days as a baby, um, the stories that my sister and mom told me about the hospital I was born in and what was going on around us during the war. Um, my father was a U.S. Army soldier fighting the war um, as, of course, uh, my mom is giving birth to me in 19, July of 1973. Um, about one year later, we left Vietnam. And, and of course, when we left Vietnam, it was, it, it was a super emotional time in our country with the relationship between the United States and, Viet, and, and Vietnam and kind of, should we be there, should, shouldn't we? And honestly, it wasn't a, a great place for our military men, which is unfortunate. And it's something that, um, you know, I, I, I've never understood, you know, but I, it, it goes back to, and I, I will, I will kind of touch on that later on, but it goes back to a year ago 
which is funny that one year ago, my mom brought me full circle to my childhood. Um, you know, and one year ago, we, we left Afghanistan and it was a very similar situation. It, it, I, don't, I don't think it was done the right way. And regardless of that, the visual on TV of, of Americans and human beings running towards a C-5 aircraft while it's leaving the ground because they know that they're losing their freedom and they're losing every aspect of their life. Most human beings can't even comprehend. They see it as a visual, but they can't even comprehend it. They can't comprehend that everybody on the ground chasing that airplane is losing the existence of their freedoms. Um, and I remember that night, um, my mom called me and she was super emotional. And, uh, you know, she wanted to tell me that that was us. Um, you know, if you take away Afghanistan and replace it with Vietnam and you take away the C-5 aircraft and you turn it into a C-130, that was our family um, running to an aircraft. Um, I was, my mom's depiction of it was I was, my, my dad was holding me honestly like a football. I'm a one-year-old child and he has my sister in his other hand. Um, who at the time was six, um, and of course my mom in her hand, and we're running towards an aircraft. And my the goal was for my father to get us on the airplane, because he wasn't going with us, he was going to stay in Vietnam until he finished his deployment and came home. So the goal was to get us on the aircraft. So at this point, again, I was a, a, a one-year-old baby, but my mom doesn't speak English, right? and we're getting on an aircraft to go to a country we know nothing about based on the trust of my father who was a, a soldier in the military. And, uh, you know, so I, I can't imagine the emotions that went through my mom and my sisters, um, or their feelings that day. Um, but, you know, we got on the aircraft and, you know, fast forward, obviously I don't, I don't know a lot of that. I just get stories from my mom and sister, and, and they really don't even tell stories either because uh, th they don't really feel a need to, me, to tell me these stories because they want me to move on. And, and in 48 years of my life, my mom never shared any of this with me until the Afghanistan situation. Um, so we leave Vietnam, and there's probably three to five years where I am not exactly sure where we were at in the United States of America, anywhere from Tampa Bay, um, Florida, to New Orleans, um, and to different coastal areas in the South. We kind of bounced around for three to five years while my father was, when he came home, he was no longer he was no longer in the military, and I don't really know the backstory in that, um, but we kind of bounced around between those areas. Um, and when I was about five or six, it all kind of came full circle for me. And you know, this is about three or four years after, after leaving Vietnam, and, and I, I, I do remember these moments. Um, and again, my mom spoke broken English, and, and we were poor. Uh, you know, like, like, my mom would, like my mom would sneak us into like the Holiday Inn to go swimming. 
Uh, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that was our thing, right? We'd, we'd sneak into the Holiday Inn Hotel just to go swimming. Um, but my dad, my dad was an alcoholic. I didn't know my dad when he was active duty, but I know that his exit in Vietnam and his, his kind of acceptance back into America, it, it wasn't accepted the way we should accept our military men and women, um, which I understand is another topic, but it's honestly disgraceful that this country treated our military men and women that way. Um, we didn't have treatment services like we do today. We didn't have counseling. We didn't have ways for men and women in the military to deal with Vietnam. And my dad's outlet was alcohol. You know, so to take me back to that time, my mom speaks broken English. My dad's an alcoholic. And to be honest with you, me and my sister were happy. Um, and I don't know why. Uh, the, the only thing I can attest to is that my mom did an amazing job preventing us from being a part of whatever conversations or, or things that went on. Um, but I, I, do, I do relive a specific moment in New Orleans. My, uh, my mom did a lot of traveling trying to establish work. Um, she, she couldn't work nine to five. She's a Vietnamese, at this time, she's not even American. She's Vietnamese, um, broken English, so she, she can't work a nine to five job. So she would establish cleaning houses and onesie, twosie things. And I remember she left to go to another state and, and it was flying out of a very small airport in Louisiana. And I remember because we were supposed to pick her up at about 10 o'clock at night and we lived about 20 to 30 minutes from the airport. Um, and I remember, I, I, to this day, I, I remember getting in the car and my dad being drunk and my sister kind of fighting the fact that, like, like what are we doing? And, and remember now, if I'm, if I'm four or five, my sister's nine or ten. Um, so on the way to the airport, uh, I don't know how, but we almost get into an accident and we kind of end up in the ditch. Um, me and my sister get out of the car. We're literally on the highway on one of those small two lane interstate highways on, uh, in the middle of nowhere in Louisiana. And we're walking on the highway at 11 p.m. at night back to our home, which I'm hoping my 10 year old sister can find um, and of course my dad is still in the car drunk and he's yelling at us and uh, it, you know at that time I, I, I didn't I mean I, I didn't understand I, I didn't I didn't comprehend military vet using alcohol to get through life and putting us in that situation for me it was it was immediate hate towards my dad. Um, and it's always been like that for a long time. Um, so we get back to uh, our house in Louisiana. Some way, shape or form, my dad gets to the airport and he, he gets my mom and, and she gets back to the house. Um, 
And it was, I remember it being very chaotic that night. Um, but me and my sister kind of stayed in our room. You know, the unique part leading up to this is that, like, I didn't think it was that bad. Um, I had my sister, I had my mom. Um, I didn't need medicine. Um, I didn't need to tell anybody that their house was nicer than mine. Uh, for me, I was good because I had my loved ones. I had a shelter. I had food. Like, to me, my pain was very little in the big scheme of things. Um, and I think it's where I kind of got understood perspective. And even though I was so young, I, man, I, I, like I understood perspective and I didn't think my life was that bad. Um, and I never complained about it because I didn't think it was bad. And my mom never portrayed it to be bad, which was why she's a hero today because it, she speaks broken English. My dad's an alcoholic and at no point did she want sympathy. She didn't make excuses to us. Like there's so many things to be grateful for, but yet we just, we let everything eat at us. When at the end of the day, you have family, you have shelter, like it's okay, man. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we, this country, they just eat at everything, eat at everything and turn everything into just this victimhood pain when the people who have dealt with victimhood are okay. And I've never understood it. My mom had every reason to hate the country that she wanted to come to. And she never did. She loved it. She wanted to be an American. She wanted us to live in America. Oh. So the next morning, um, my dad either, he either went to work or he was drunk and he, he couldn't comprehend or get up in the morning. So I remember my mom running into our room and, uh, and just telling us to pack a bag. And she basically, I, I remember to this day, she said, let's hurry, please be quiet. In broken English, of course, and she said, pack a bag. And uh, we're leaving. And uh, I, I don't even remember how we got to the airport because I think we only had one vehicle, but we went to the, the small airport and we got on a small, like 10 to 12 passenger plane. I, know, I remember to this day because it was tiny. And it, of course I was, I was scared, but it was a very small airplane at a small airport. And we flew to Houston, um, I think. And the reason we flew to Houston is because my mom had Vietnamese friends who left Vietnam and ended up in Houston. So that was our kind of outlet. It was our, um, so we flew to Houston and for the next couple days, like it was, it was okay. Like, like she never, she never let us 
she never let us feel sorry for who we were, but be have a lot of pride for what we've accomplished and how we were able to get through the adversities we got through. So we spent some time in Houston. Jeez. Uh, I don't know the timeline, but we got a lot of support from the Vietnamese community that was in Houston. I think it was a pretty big community. Um, and fast forward, I don't know how it happened, but we, we end up in Hawaii, which is where essentially my childhood begins, and that's in Hawaii. Um, at, at this time, uh, the last thing I remember is leaving my dad and essentially, I don't know if you want to call it escaping him, he wasn't hurting us, but we're, we're in Hawaii and my dad is trying to find us. Um, and, and I don't think he knows where we're at yet, so he, he, doesn't, he didn't show up in Hawaii yet. Um, and again, I think one or two bedroom apartment in Hawaii, um, in a high rise. Um, we didn't have a lot of money. I remember I was probably first grade six and my sister had to kind of register for me at school because my mom was still speaking broken English. But Hawaii was where we got our citizenship as, as Americans. Um, you know, so I remember sitting down with my mom and we would go through history lessons and immigration questions and again, like, there was no, this is unfair, this is, there was no America, this is the way to treat, like, it was, let's, we went through these questions like it, it was fun because our ultimate goal is to become an American citizen. And we never took that for granted, man. Like, we never, we never took for granted being an American citizen because we knew how it felt not to be one. So I remember how proud my mom was when we became American citizens. And of course, my dad was, my dad was a, a military man, so I don't know the laws, but we were, there was a portion, you know, because he was American, um, we were good, but my birth certificate is Vietnamese, so at, at the time, I was, for a while, I was a dual citizen, and I, I, I don't know the logistics of it. Um, but I remember somewhere when I was about seven, um, which was 1980, my dad found us in Hawaii. And I say found us because obviously in that time in our country, there was no technology, right? So it was kind of, you dialed the telephone to find, I mean, it's, it's not like it is today. So, and, and he was communicating with Vietnamese, it was hard to find us, it wasn't that simple. And he found us, he came to Hawaii. And I remember him essentially begging my mom for his family back. 
so I think he lived with us for a little bit. Uh, and again, in my, like, I know they fought. I know there were empty vodka bottles sitting around the house. Uh, for some reason, I, I, I relive a moment where I feel like he's sitting on the couch with a revolver. And I couldn't comprehend or understand it. I just know it happened. Uh, and and I, I didn't, I couldn't comprehend it because my sister and mom wouldn't allow me to open my eyes to it. They, were, they would protect me. Um, but I, I, I remember I remember visually seeing my dad hold a gun, and it was a revolver because he was spinning the revolver. And he was at a place where he was losing his family. He fought for his country. He was treated terribly for it. And it was either alcohol or he just didn't want to live anymore. And again, I couldn't even comprehend it. I didn't even know if it was right or wrong. Um, but that's a vision that I don't, just him spinning the revolver is something I, I see regularly. Um, and, 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 and he drank clear liquor, so there was always a bottle of clear liquor. And, and him and my mom fought, um, but my mom was strong. So fast forward to eight, I'm eight. And, you know, we're, we're waking up in the morning and it's probably January, February time frame. I'm eight years old. And I remember the time frame because it was, it was right after Christmas and my, dad, my dad's skin started to, it, it would turn yellow. And it was, um, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't good. He was sick and, and I didn't know why. His, I just remember his skin being yellow. I didn't know if it was from alcohol or, I had no idea what it was from, but I remember it. Um, and although we went through all that adversity with him, my mom cared for him. And I remember. Like, for a human being to put us through what he put us through, she, she fucking cared for him. I remember her caring for him. And she never, she never held anything against him. She never, gosh, I, she never sat down with us and had a pity party or make excuses or say, poor us, we don't have food, we don't have money, we live in this apartment building, your dad's an alcoholic. Like, it never crossed her tongue. She, she everything was, be grateful, son. You have food, you have shelter, you're an American citizen, be grateful. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand why, why we can't be grateful. 
Um, so my dad, she, my dad was admitted to the hospital. And uh, he had liver disease from alcoholism, of course. Man, he was a veteran that fought for his country. Got zero support from his country. Zero support from the government. He drank his life away. And now he's got liver disease. So he's in the hospital. And my mom took us to see him. And it was, it was so bad that there were times they didn't want me to go in the room. So my mom and sister would go back and they would bring me messages. And I would remember like any little boy, I played with little cars and trucks. And I remember going to see my dad who clearly has been in the hospital the whole time. And he would give me a toy truck or car. 48, 48 years later, I now understand that it wasn't possible for him to buy me a car or toy while he was in the hospital. So my mom would take him toys so that when I came in, he could give me a toy. Because my mom didn't want us to hate him. And she had every reason to hate him. And I've always, I've always never understood her strength. But you know, it takes me back to this, this victimhood of our country and this, this what about me? Everybody's got a victim story. And my mom is an example of somebody that, that never allowed us to believe those things because we were grateful, again, for what we had. Nobody's grateful. Last day of school, I'm eight years old, I'm in third grade. Like every elementary school in America, the last day of school is a party um, because it's summer, right? And I, I, I remember to this day, um, because like any Vietnamese Asian kid, as you can attest to, every, every kid brings dip and chips. And of course, I'm the kid that walks in with spring rolls, right, for the, which is who I was, right? That's what my mom did. Um, but I remember sitting in the classroom, and I remember I, I sat on the front row all the way to the right of the classroom because my mom told me to sit on the front row across from my teacher. So that's where I sat. I didn't look at her and say, no, I'm too cool. I'm gonna sit in the back row so I can hang out with my buddies. I did what my mom asked me to do because she gave so much for me, right? Like, why would I not sit in the front row? Why would I not do it just because my mom asked me to, right? I, I, so that's where I sat. But the, the unique perspective was right out of my left eye was the front door to the classroom, right? So if you can envision a teacher here and right there is the front door. 
So third grade, last day of school. I'm sitting where I'm at, looking at my teacher at her desk, and I see her start to get a tear down her. And she looked at the front door and looked at me, and I looked at the front door, and there was a small glass opening. It was a wood door with a small glass opening. And through that glass, I saw my sister in tears. So my teacher took me to the door so that my sister wouldn't come in emotional. And uh, I remember my sister looking at me and saying, I'm sorry, but dad died. I never understood it. I loved my dad. But there was a portion of me that hated him. Like I was, I hated him. Because I felt like he was so selfish and I didn't understand until now, until a year ago. It took me 48 years to understand. But I hated him. So we go to the hospital. He's on his deathbed. He looks terrible, he's yellow. Some of his skin is frailed. So I choose not to go see him. My mom and sister go back and see him and I choose not to. Um, and I remember, I remember my mom begging me to understand. And she was so strong, like so strong. There could have been so many things she used to get us to believe that just life sucks. And she was so strong. She never let us do that. So three or four days later, I, I, it, this is very weird, cause, but I can, I can go back to being eight. I can go back to the last day of school being a Friday. And I feel like the following Wednesday was his funeral service. And I actually, I actually remember that. I remember we had no church affiliation, but his viewing was at a church. I remember walking into the church and sitting in the front pew with my mom and sister. He gave 18 plus years of service to this country. He died an alcoholic, and the only people at his viewing was me, my mom, and my sister. And I remember sitting in the front, front pew, and I was afraid to view him. And I, I, I remember getting emotional and my mom begging me to view him. Just please see dad, please see dad, please see dad. She kept saying, please see dad. So I remember going up to see him. And of course, his coffin was draped with an American flag. 
And I remember telling myself to this day that it, it wasn't about how many people were in the church, to be honest with you. It's taken me a long time to figure this out. But at his viewing, it wasn't about how many people were in the church. It was that his coffin was draped with an American flag. So he was recognized for his service to our country on the day he died. Thank you for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. We hope you enjoyed episode one of Leadership Through Adversity. Next week, in part two, Senior Chief George talks about the leadership lessons he learned from his mother and older sister. For more Defining Moments podcast content, visit our webpage, www.undefeated.show. Follow us at Def Moments Pod on Twitter and at Defining Moments Podcast on Instagram.